Welcome to V1, the podcast, an aviation podcast where we explore the vast world of aviation. My name is Nick Herring, and I'm your host. In this episode, we're talking about flight education, specifically when it comes to choosing a school. Whether it's a university aviation degree program, a fast track type program, or even a smaller flight school at your local airport. I'm going to share with you how I went about choosing the school I currently attend and talk about all of the possible things to consider when choosing a school that's right for you. It's all coming up in just a few moments, so sit back, relax, and welcome aboard to Episode 7 of V1, the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to V1, the podcast. If you're new here, thanks for stopping by to check it out. I wanted to start by thanking everyone who subscribes to the show. The number of downloads are growing each week, which means that you're spreading the word, and I greatly appreciate that. A huge shout out to the Airplane Geeks and the Airline Pilot Guy show who played my feedback a few weeks back and gave me a little shout out. That was super nice of them and kind of cool since I've been a longtime listener of their shows and really got the inspiration to do this because of the great job that they do producing their own shows. Now, as far as this show goes, I know, I know the episodes aren't published very consistently, but I have good reason for that. As I've mentioned, I am finishing up my commercial training right now. And between that and work, it's been taking up a lot of my free time. But the day my commercial check ride is nearing because I finally have a date next week. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully knocking that check ride out of the park, which means these episodes can finally be more consistent. But as far as this episode goes, we're going to be talking about flight education and how to choose kind of the right school for you. Um, I'm going to start by kind of explaining my story. Um, uh, choosing my school. I mentioned in past episodes, I go to California Aeronautical University. It's a, it's a flight university out in Bakersfield, California. What's unique about CAU is they offer a uh, three-year bachelor's program, very similar to other universities where you get your bachelor's degree, but then you also get all of your flight training there as well. The difference being though that you get basically that four-year bachelor's in three years. Um, and for a lot cheaper. So that's kind of nice. Uh, that was one of the main reasons why I chose this school. Um, but the process I went through was kind of unique. And so this is coming from a perspective of somebody who was working full time. And you can kind of consider this a somewhat of a career change for me. Um, I've always wanted to be an airline pilot since I was younger. It's one of those childhood dreams that never really went away. Um, but I also got involved in a lot of other stuff. I had a lot of hobbies. Um, towards the end of high school, I got really involved in technical theater uh, started doing a lot of the uh, lights and lighting design and programming for the school. Um, sort of became basically the technical director for the theater department at my high school uh, and got really interested in that stuff. And then that just kind of took off right out of high school. I, I About a few months after I graduated, I got a job with uh, Carnival Cruise Lines and I worked as a lighting technician, um, senior technician and entertainment technical manager for them over the course of about two and a half years or so. Um, during all of that, my end goal, as far as that field goes, working in technical theater was, was to get to Disney. And, uh, I did finally on, uh, in April, 2011, I started working, uh, for the Walt Disney company in the Anaheim park at the Disneyland resort as a stage technician. And I've been there ever since. And now what I wanted to do was a couple years into work, I realized that, um, you know, I, I could start my flight training. Essentially, I was making good money. I could kind of uh, set the time aside to be able to do that. So I thought, <laughs> and um, I started my flight training in 2012 down in San Diego, where I'm from. So I was living and working up in Anaheim, but I was commuting back down to San Diego, where I kind of started everything. My, it's where I went to school. That's where I grew up. 
uh, on my days off. Uh, that sounded good in theory in my head, but really it ended up being um, not the best way to learn how to fly. As most of you know, if you are pilots, you really got to keep on it, especially when you're learning something new and something as complicated as flying, especially during your private pilot. Um, and I found that extremely difficult to do. I was going down there my two days off and going to my flight school and getting with my instructor. And it was a lot of a lot of two steps forward, one step back, and it became um, really in, inconsistent training. And I wasn't able to kind of stick the knowledge in my head as well as I, as well as I wanted to. So I'd have like a, a stint of training and kind of be there for a couple of weeks pretty good. And then I had to take a break because I got really busy at work. And as I started working on more project type based stuff up at Disney, um, the time really did not allow itself to become available for me to do that flight training very consistently. And at that point, I'm just throwing away money. So what I ended up doing was I kind of shelved it for about a year and decided that, you know what, I'm just going to have to get to flying at some point when I have more time. It was kind of tough, right? Because I liked both things. I really wanted to be an airline pilot, but I knew that that was going to be quite the feat to be able to go through all the training and get all the education out of the way. And um, I just didn't know where I could find the time to do that and also do the stuff I love in entertainment technology. Um, I was working on one project at my work. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of it. It was uh, Frozen Live at the Hyperion. It's over in California Venture Park. I was directly involved in that project for the five or six months that it took to install it. And that show just wiped me out. Um, I took a three-week three vacation after that. And um, during that vacation, one of the weekends, I think, during those three weeks, I went up to Seattle and I checked out the... Um, the Boeing uh, Future Flight Center and the factory tour. I'd actually been there before, but um, you know I'm kind of an airplane nerd, so I'll go again. And I stayed at the hotel. It's actually right there. It's the Hilton Garden Inn. It's right there in the parking lot. And the cool thing about Hilton's is you can you can uh, choose your room. They give you the floor layout, and you can kind of choose the room you want um, if it's available. So of course, you know me being me, I chose the room that faced the runway <laughs> right over the field. And um, it was really interesting and kind of like a movie type moment. I woke up kind of early. I don't know why it was like 6am. The sun was just coming up over the, you know, over the mountains there and um, lighting up the airfield. And there's like this you know, low layer of mists around the runway. You know, I felt like birds were chirping and it was like, you know, a, a great opening shot to a movie, frankly. <laughs> um, but I was looking out the window and then just roaring into view was a, a brand new 777-300ER. And it still had the green protective coating on it and everything. And it just roared into my view and landed right there in front of me. I just got the chills, you know, all the feels. And I just knew at that moment that, okay, that's it. When I get back from this vacation, I need to find a way to focus on this airline stuff full time and, 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 you know, make it, make it possible. So one of the first steps that I was going to do was, um, start looking into schools figuring out where to go. I, I was still kind of on the fence of how I wanted to do this, whether it be a full-blown all-in-one program, um, a fast-track program like ATP, uh, or just continue what I was doing, but maybe uh, limit my work schedule you know, uh, to maybe three days a week and then using the four other days to flight train. I don't know. I was kind of balancing it out. Um, and any option would have been okay. I was kind of ready for either one. But Funny enough, um, how I found my school was listening to a podcast. Um, it was really interesting. I was I was driving home from the airport. Uh, I've, I ended up in San Diego at the end of my trip just to hang out with friends and family and then drove up from there back to Anaheim. 
and I was uh, I was driving home and I was listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast and that episode they had on the president of my university, Matt Johnston, and they were talking to him about the school uh, and the programs it offered, the facilities, the aircraft. Uh, the school was pretty much brand new at the time. Uh, when I got there in October 2016, there was only 18 students, including myself. I mean, the school was, was less than a year old at that point. Now we're about two and a half years or so old. Um, and it's crazy because the school's blown up to like 150-something plus students. It, it's, it's crazy. More on that in another episode, trust me. Um, but anyway, everything he was saying about the school and the questions they were asking was really kind of like making me think. I was like, you know what? This is kind of exactly what I'm looking for. I, I know that the major airlines require at least a bachelor's degree. I'm going to have to get that at some point. I think my original plan was basically to, I don't know, get my flight training done all the way through CFI and then just instruct or maybe take some side jobs and just build the time, right? And then get to the regionals. And then while I'm at the regionals, maybe take some online courses for school and get my bachelor's degree out of the way. That that was one option I was looking at. But then again, if something came around like a full-blown solution, like this sounded like it was for a reasonable price, I was definitely going to entertain that. So... I looked it up, calero.edu. I went there and checked it out and looked at their programs. And um, because they were pretty new, they were pretty limited in what they offered. But you know, now we have a bunch of stuff we do. Um, but uh, they had a bachelor's degree program. It was a bachelor's of science in aeronautics. And just like it sounds, it's you get you get your bachelor's degree at the end of the program. The program was about three years long. Um, they had on-campus housing, which was kind of nice. Um, I knew that I was going to have to commute back and forth. I still had to keep my job at Disney because I, I mean, I got to pay the bills, you know, and I got to afford the school somehow, somehow. So I looked into it. And, um, during the interview, Matt had mentioned that their basic type schedule at the time was a Monday through Thursday kind of thing. And that was perfect. That means I could work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It just meant a lot of commuting, you know? Um, so one of those sacrifices I was going to have to make to, to make this happen. So, I looked into the school a little bit more. I scheduled an appointment and got to get some information about it. I drove up to Bakersfield um, pretty much a couple of weeks later after I heard that episode and scheduled a tour, or excuse me, got a tour. And um, they walked me around the campus and showed me the housing facilities, the uh, dining hall, uh, the, all of the recreational activities, the pool, the gym, uh, all the tennis courts and basketball courts and and the actual admin building itself where all the classrooms are at and all the, the, the where the flight training center and operations are. And then of course the the flight line, the aircraft that were there and this in our hangar. I mean the school the school had everything. It was it was quite a find. And then I found out that basically what was what was cool about CAU was um, the the campus was actually built and designed by ANA Airlines, Alnapon. They uh, built that campus specifically to train their pilots from Japan and then send them back to work for their airline. So the, the, the school was quite, the campus at least, was quite literally created to train airline pilots. So it was set up really nice. Um, the housing was kind of nice. It was single occupancy dorm rooms at the time. And that meant that I could have my own space, um, a very small space. But I mean, I, like I said, I worked for a cruise line for two and a half years, so I was pretty used to that. Um, what was... Uh, Again, nice about all that, though, was the planes we were flying were brand new. We, they were flying Cessna 172Ss with the G1000 and everything. They were only um, a couple months old at the time. They had three of them when I was there. They also had a, a Baron uh, for our multi-training. 
uh, our multi-engine training aircraft and uh, a Cessna 172RG for our complex. So, man, I mean, they just kind of checked all the boxes. And, you know, I had looked at other options. The thing is, if, with the degree program thing, for me, this is for me, if I had to go somewhere and I wanted to do all that, I mean, my only options outside of California are the big name schools, you know, MP Riddle, uh, UND, all those places. And I wasn't willing to relocate to do all that, at least in my state. Um, you know, at the time, uh, I was, um, oh, how old was I when I started? That was two years ago. Yeah. So I was about, uh, 26 at the time when I started at CAU and, uh, you know, I kind of lived life a little bit. I didn't really want to relocate to go to a college, you know, far away. Um, so it was either going to be this option or it was going to be what I mentioned before, which was uh, kind of get my training um, on my on my own time or go through a fast track program like ATP. So in the end, I chose CAU um, for many different reasons. The ones I already mentioned, but also the staff was very friendly. That's always a good start. I met a couple of the instructors that were currently instructing at the time, and they seemed very knowledgeable. Um, I, I like the personality of all of them. I met each one of them. They were super nice um, and welcoming. They actually kind of described how the training would be if I came here. They took a moment of their day to talk to me. Um, the uh, The school offered a lot of other type of things, like the they have a couple simulators, a Redbird SD, as well as an MCX full motion. And um, none of the schools that I was looking at before really had those. So that was kind of unique. And I kind of felt that for the price I was paying, which was um, significantly less than a, one of the larger name four-year universities, um, that was a pretty darn good deal. Uh, the only thing that I'd have to pretty much deal with was, like I said, the commute and uh, probably was going to have to sell my car because of that. I had a 2017 Forerunner, so 18 miles to the gallon. I'm not about to, I'm not about to drive 600 miles a week, you know, <laughs> and uh, pay that gas. So um, I went home and, and uh, thought about it and started looking to other schools as well. I toured an ATP facility down in uh, Long Beach, I believe, um, a couple other smaller flight schools down there as well. And we're going we're gonna to go through some of the things that uh, you should look at that I also looked at during that process. But inevitably, I settled on CAU as my school. And I've been there, I've been here since, like I said, October 2016 and loving it so far. I mean, like I said, it was everything that they explained. And, you know, the, the other big thing about the choosing my school was because it was brand new, I knew that there was going to be some growing pains. There had to have been, you know, I mean, the school is new, everything they were doing, they hadn't really done before. Um, it, it was, it was pretty unique. And of course, you know, with, as the school grew and we got more people, they, you know, there's policy changes, there's other rules and regulations that we had to abide by and we had to adjust ourselves. And, you know, so all that was to be expected, but I'm glad that um, I pushed through it because, um, so far, it's been really great. I'm, I've been awarded some great opportunities by being at, being at this school. And um, we're going to talk about, I don't want to want to focus on my school this episode. We're going to talk about that in another episode. I do plan on interviewing Matt Johnson, who's the president and founder of CAU, um, in uh, possibly the next episode. And uh, you can hear all the things about specific to CAU. But we're going to move on and talk about what you should be looking at when choosing a flight school. So first and foremost, to even be able to begin to take advantage of aviation and its rewards it brings, really, you need to be able to make sure that you get a good, solid information and aviation training that you need to be that safe and confident pilot in the air. And that's all about finding the right school, which I know is is sometimes easier said than done 
for some people. Um, you know, at the beginning of your flight school search, it helps if you have a general idea, though, of what you want from aviation. Why do you want to learn how to fly? What is your ultimate long-term aviation goal? Do you want to learn to fly um, because you want to fly for fun? Or are you seeking a flying career? Will your flying be local? Or do you want to use general aviation aircraft to travel? Um, you know, do you want to use your own airplane? Or do you want to rent? These are all questions that you should really answer before you start considering flight schools. And you should consider whether you'll be training full-time or part-time because that can make a big difference in the flight school selection criteria. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I was uh, working full-time and that definitely had a, 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 that definitely played a factor into choosing the school that I was going to go into. So flight schools come in two types of flavors, part 61 and part 141. Those numbers refer to the parts of the federal aviation regulations under which they operate. So keep that in mind. The most common but least important distinction between them, however, is the minimum flight time required for the private pilot certificate specifically. It's 40 hours under Part 61, but it's only 35 hours under Part 141. So considering that the national average for earning a private pilot certificate is 60 to 75 hours, this difference isn't important for initial pilot training. But it does make a difference when it comes to commercial pilot applicants. Part 61, for example, requires 250 hours, whereas Part 141 requires only 190 hours. So what differentiates the two is structure and accountability, if you were to break it down. Part 141 schools are periodically audited by the FAA, and they need to have a detailed FAA-approved course outlines to meet student pilot performance rates, whereas Part 61 schools don't have that same paperwork and accountability requirements, so keep that in mind. Learning under Part 61 rules can often give students the flexibility to rearrange flying lesson content and sequence to meet their needs, really, which well, it could be a benefit to part-time students for sure, but many Part 141 schools also train students under Part 61 rules as well. So which type of flight school is best for you kind of depends on your needs, available time, and other factors such as veterans' benefit eligibility and location. So when it comes to the FAA checkride, though, which is the same for all, it doesn't really matter where you learn to fly, only how well, <laughs> and, you know, including your understanding of the aviation academic material. So as we mentioned, although flight schools fall into two basic categories, Part 61 and 141, there actually is a third category that bears some serious consideration by prospective pilots, particularly those planning a professional piloting career, and that's nationally accredited pilot training institutions. This is the degree type program is what I'm talking about. So accredited flight schools must meet rigid standards of accountability for virtually every area of operation and must apply to an accrediting agency recognized by the U.S. Department of Education. An aviation degree program also play a large part in today's pilot training marketplace. So if you're planning a professional flying career, for instance, an aviation degree may make you more competitive against other pilots applying for a job. And a plus in seeking a degree is that in many cases you're eligible for, uh, for financial aid and scholarships that will assist you not only in your academic endeavors, but in the flight training as well. Very important, when I was in my school in San Diego, for instance, um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, financing options out there because it was just this, you know, it was just a flight school. Uh, there are a couple companies that do some stuff, but those rates are a little high. Whereas if you go through like a degree type program or this these accredited universities or these accredited programs, uh, you know, you're now, you now have at your disposal potentially depending on your life situation, um, federal grants, federal loans, all, all this kind of stuff, which is, which, is, which is great. The next thing you want to do is compile a list of flight schools, all right? 
So once you've given some thought into what you want, start putting together a list of possible flight schools and then request all information uh, from each one of them, right? Ask them to send an outline or curriculum for each pilot training program that you're interested in and a copy of the school's regulations and flight operations procedures. Very important because even though the school might be really fancy, they may operate in a very, let's just say crappy way, all right? Um, don't base your decision on literature alone. You're looking for informative substance, and this can be found as well in photocopied sheets as it can in full color catalogs. So while scrutinizing the material, take notes for use during the flight school visit, and that's when you'll check the veracity of its claims. So some things to look for, for instance, are the school's philosophy, the goals and objectives and how they match to your needs. Are there such benefits as housing, financial aid, additional pilot training programs such as aerobatics, um, all that kind of stuff that could broaden your experience. How important is the flight training to the organization itself? How long has the school been in business? What about the school's instructional staff? Its enrollment numbers, the credentials, how many types of airplanes do they use? What are the classrooms like? All these types of things are something you want to consider or ask the school, frankly, when you do an in-person visit. One of the most important things you can do when you're looking at schools is take a first-hand look. This is your money after all, right? So if you do nothing else in your flight school search, visit the school. I cannot stress that enough. Your first contact will likely be an admissions officer or the chief flight instructor. So listen closely and ask the questions about everything. Don't be shy. If you don't understand something, just ask. During your tour, ensure that no area is left unvisited from administrative offices down to the maintenance areas, all right? Uh, interview the school's chief flight instructor as well, or their assistant. And some questions to ask that are very important are questions like, are there progressive flight checks? Uh, what's the instructor to student ratio? Who schedules the flying lessons, right? And how that's done? Uh, what are the insurance requirements, if any? Uh, who keeps the records? What happens when weather or maintenance problems cancel flying lessons? All those little operational type questions are going to be very important. And then after the official tour, why don't you just kind of get away by yourself and then, and if you can, try to talk to other students that are in the flight training program. Ask them to rate the training's quality and explain what they what any problems they've had, if any, right? And 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 how they were dealt with. Because remember, they're the ones that are in the program. The school is gonna hype it up, the school is gonna advertise all these, you know, fluffy, colorful things, but the students are the ones that are actually doing it. This is something that my school does um, in the first week of class. The new students have their welcome week, and one of the days is called a day in the life. And it's usually presented by a current student, uh, usually myself actually, where we give a presentation on what it's like being a student at the school, um, what they can expect directly from a student, and we actually give them some tips and tricks on how to be successful and and and, uh, and maximize your time here, so you're not falling behind and and all that stuff. So. That's something that's very important as well, for sure. The next important thing I want to talk about is the thing that you're going to be in the air with, and that's the airplane. The training airplane is where you're going to practice in the air everything you've learned on the ground, right? So high wing or low, it doesn't make much difference. What's important is how well the airplane is equipped and maintained. It's also important that the school's trainers are dedicated, really, to the pilot training and not only to the airplane rental. How many training airplanes a school has depends on the number of active students, though. So generally speaking, one trainer serves four or five full-time students, and this, this ratio may be higher with part-time students, whereas other, another consideration is the training fleet's mix of primary and advanced and multi-engine airplanes. My school, for instance, we have 
eight airplanes on the line right now. They're all Cessna 172 SPs. They're only a couple years old at the oldest one, and they all have G1000s in them. Some of them have the G1000 NXIs. Our multi-engine is a Baron B55, and our complex trainers are Cessna 172RG. So, you know, a good mix of types of airplanes um, de- based on, you know, depending on the type of flight training you'll be doing and uh, during your program. So keep that in mind as well. But because trainers are flown often and sometimes hard, how a flight school maintains its training fleet is really important for both safety and scheduling. So ask questions about maintenance policies and procedures. Uh, that should basically be part of every school interview. Another big thing when you're in the air, right, is that person you're going to be sitting next to, your flight instructor. So a good flight instructor is important because your life will depend on what he or she teaches you. Hopefully they're not teaching you wrong information. That would be really bad. So don't hesitate to ask questions about the training and experience of the flight instructors. You you might ask what the average flight time is and what the pass and fail rate is amongst instructors too. Um, you might also talk to some of the other students at the school to ask about their instructors. So kind of like what we talked about earlier where you talk to the students about how you know what they think about the program and how it works for them. Ask them about the instructors, what instructors that you should try to get with, or unfortunately, what instructors you should probably try to avoid. Your primary instructor should be at least a certified flight instructor, hopefully, right? A CFI. And of course, if you're going to be getting any kind of instrument training from them, make sure that they are instrument rated as well, that they are CFII. Very important. Because any kind of training you get from an instructor that's not instrument rated, that's instrument training, it does not count. So keep that in mind. A good way to get acquainted with your flight instructor is to take an introductory flight lesson, right? So this is not just a demonstration ride. So during your lesson, that's kind of where you want to assess your instructor's attitude. So only you can really determine what personality best fits yours, but you want an instructor who really expects perfection from you and who's going to work with you until it's achieved and who cares about you as a person as well as a student. So a big thing about flight training, right, is the cost. Compared with most of your current activities, learning to fly and and earning your pilot certificate can and probably will be very expensive. But remember, you're really investing in your education and skills that will open up new worlds and opportunities. So keep that in mind. Flying really is an activity of purpose, productivity, and pleasure. It's also never, it's really a never ending learning process. And with, you know, as is with all education, your initial pilot training provides a foundation for all that's going to follow after that. Looking at the bottom line, though, you'll notice that adjusting for location and differences in training programs, flight schools more or less charge about the same. So only you can determine if what you get for your money is fair. And as with any other major purchase, if a deal seems too good to be true, well, it probably is. When comparing costs, though, make sure that you're comparing apples with apples, not apples and oranges. So some flight schools, they base their prices on the FAA minimum time requirements, such as 40 hours for private pilot certificate, whereas others will base their prices on a more realistic figure that's the average of what their students accomplish. Some include books and supplies, aviation ground school, flight testing, and the FAA written examination fees, but others don't. So in other words, read the fine print and ensure you're making a comparison of equals, really. But because most schools require partial or full payment before training begins, financing your flight training, especially if you're in a professional pilot program, will probably be your greatest challenge. Uh, Some schools offer financing and have financing and loan information. However, AOPA, for example, they offer its uh, flight funds loan program, I think it's called, to its qualified members. So schools also offer block time prices if you pay for a certain amount of pilot training or flight time in advance, which can often offer substantial savings as well. So 
all these different things are basically you got to talk to the school and figure out what they what they offer. Um, there are some schools that uh, they guarantee their training, so that you'll basically that you'll earn your certificate for a fixed price no matter how long it takes. Read the fine print carefully though, because many of these guarantees expire after so many hours. Uh, if you haven't achieved your goal in this time, the school will still train you, but you'll have to pay for the flight training that takes place above the guaranteed ceiling. So make sure you're looking into that. You might also want to inquire about refunds because most flight schools require that you pay for part or all of your flight training in advance, which prevents you from training and running before the bills are paid. But if you must stop training for whatever reason, you really should know if and how much of your money will be refunded. Also, unless your flight instructor's fees are part of a package price program, you know, you want to know how you are charged for his or her educational services and then how much you're charged for the aircraft rental. Aircraft rental and the instructor time are usually charged by the Hobbs meter. Uh, that's a little timing device that's activated by oil pressure. It's over in the corner of the airplane. Uh, you know, so remember this, if the engine's running, so is the meter. If you're sitting on the ground, you're still charged for it. So keep all that in mind. Also, learn if the instructor is paid for pre and post flight briefings in addition to flight time. These are crucial parts of every flight lesson. And if the instructor is not paid for them, you may get abbreviated briefings before you start the engine and then get the rest of the briefing while the airplane engine and the meter are running. So there's an old saying, right? Time is money. That is literally the thing when it comes to flight training. And I can attest to that personally. All right. So to wrap it up here, you know, ultimately what flight school you choose depends on the quality of flight training you desire in a method convenient to your schedule. In earning your private pilot certificate, you will have achieved a license basically to learn. All right. Aviation is an ever-changing activity and good pilots are always learning, as Jason Schaffer would say. <laughs> um, perhaps the final deciding factor between several schools that are running head-to-head -head, basically is personality. Like people, flight schools have personalities. There's there's deadly serious ones, whereas others are more family in nature, but only you can really select the one that matches your personality. So just to kind of go over the checklist real quick of choosing a good flight school that we, of, you know, kind of a summary of what we talked about today. Firstly, determine your aviation goals, right? Are you learning to fly for fun or do you want to pursue a career? Then compile a list of schools to examine and then request literature for each one of them. You know, once you've done your homework, visit the final two or three schools that pass the test to ask questions and get a feel for the personalities of the schools. Ask specific questions and insist on specific answers. Talk to other students and flight instructors. Uh, the other one is, you know, once you've decided on a school, be sure that a written agreement outlines a payment procedure. It's very important. But most importantly, a very good resource available to you when um, trying to search some flight schools is through the AOPA. They have a really cool online flight school directory that you can use that's uh, pretty helpful to kind of uh, match your criteria from what you're looking for as well. But overall, that's pretty much um, everything I could think of when you're looking for a flight school. Um, everyone kind of has their own techniques and their own ways of doing it. Honestly, it's going to be up to you in the end. Again, I think the most important part is kind of making up your own list of the things you're looking for. And then uh, go down that list and check the boxes as you look at the schools. Just look at all of them. You know, it, you know, you want to settle on maybe a couple and then choose from there. But, but ultimately, um, it's a very important decision because that's where you're going to be spending your money. So keep that in mind. And that is going to about do it, though, for this episode of V1 The Podcast. You're listening to Episode 7. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe and give a rating and review. This podcast is also available on Stitcher and Spotify. But most importantly, something I want to ask you guys is, what do you want to hear next? 
I want to do this show so that um, the stuff I'm talking about is interesting and is kept interesting. So if there's anything specific that you want me to talk about, you want to know more about, or maybe a person you want me to interview specifically, just send me an email to feedback at v1podcast.com. You can also use that email if you have any other questions or comments. You can also follow me on Instagram using the handle at the Nick Herring, all one word. With all that being said, though, thanks for stopping by, everybody. I'll see you next time on V1, the podcast.